Texas talking ball. What was that that you said? Texas talking ball. Gonna hoop up beside your head. Texas talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas has a lot of This is Jill Abramson, the executive editor of the New York Times. Uh, I'm thrilled to be on the trip cast and also really happy that the New York Times is partners with the Texas Tribune and the fabulous Evan Smith uh, doing great journalism together. Um, I'm in South South by Southwest promoting um, a fantastic new mobile product uh, that the Times is going to be unveiling very soon called NYT Now, and all of you will want to have it on your smartphones. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the second week of March, right in the middle of South by Southwest. And joining me, taking a break from the festivities, is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Yeah, I'm almost out of black t-shirts. Editor Emily Ramshaw. I'm almost out of black pants. And reporter Jay Root. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I was going to see what he was going to yeah. be almost out of. <laughs> Jay has everything in spades. I think that is. I should have said I'm almost out of skinny jeans. That would have been more appropriate for South by Southwest. I haven't done anything South by Southwest related except for avoid the traffic on my bike. Well, that's mainly, Another that's electric mainly bike plug. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we dive too deeply down that rabbit hole, we should mention that today, Wednesday, is the deadline to drop out if you are in a runoff and have decided you don't want to uh, to go through with it. I just can't take it anymore. And since we recorded our last trip cast, uh, Harvey Hildebrand, who was a distant second in the Comptroller's race and maybe would not have been in a runoff anyway once the yeah, votes were counted. Yeah, they were still counting counted. provisional yeah. votes. He was down on election night, unofficial count by – or Hager was uh, 74 votes from actually winning the thing outright. There were a bunch of provisional votes all over the state, you know, like there always are, and there was a giant pocket of them in Travis County because weather delayed the polls and everybody who voted after 7 o'clock and before 9 o'clock was counted provisionally. So there were a couple hundred um, provisional ballots out there that might have settled the race anyhow. And so Glenn Hager, state senator from <clears throat> Katy, who will, who will be the Republican nominee for Comptroller since Hildebrand dropped out, right. uh, was dropping out on Hildebrand's part the right call or a bad call? Was, he it was, coward, was it cowardly? Well, no, he was toast. Everybody, everybody was looking at that and saying, you know, he's not going to be able to raise a dime for it. And in fact, his largest supporter, Brent Ryan, and some of the lobby people, uh, notably Mike Toomey and some others like that, jumped to Hager from Hildebrand's campaign. And so the, the signs were all there. Does he not have an obligation to the people that voted for him to keep fighting the good fight as long as he can? He probably has an obligation not to spend any more of their money or ask them for any more money if he doesn't think that he has a legitimate shot. Right. He, he was particularly far behind, too. If you look at these other candidates, although Dewhurst is pretty far behind as well, but Harvey was was barely in, in a runoff, if, if right. at all, you know, given what you just said about the provisional ballots, right? So, so yeah. let's talk about Dewhurst then. Dewhurst... Uh, got twenty eight percent, right? Dewhurst, you know, Dewhurst. This is David Dewhurst, finished incumbent lieutenant governor, right? Finished second in his own primary for re-election. So he's got a couple of problems. One of them is that he's an incumbent in a runoff, which is always bad news. Um, you know, we can talk about some others, Bob Dool and some others like that. That's always tough. And seventy two percent of Republican primary voters chose someone else in this primary. It's also the third time in a row that they've done that. You know, the Dewhurst. 
didn't clear the 50% bar in the first round for U.S. Senate in 2012, got 46%, I think, something like that, um, and eventually lost that race to Ted Cruz. So these voters rejected him just 18 months ago, and here they are rejecting him again. It's a it's a tough road back. And he's also, there have been some calls for him to drop out of the race. I think, you know, a, a key lobbyist with Lock Lord, uh, government relations and Lock Lord sent right, an Robert email. Miller, right? Robert Miller sent an email around last week, I believe that was last week, saying, you know, basically, I don't think Dewhurst has a shot. Everybody's, you know, switching teams. The money's moving, right. and you know he should drop out. Blew a whistle. Hey, this boat's leaving. But Robert he, he's going in the not. wrong direction too, because if you he was the leader in the runoff position in the Senate runoff. Right. So uh, now he's gone. He's gotten far less than he got the first time. The first time he got into a runoff. So the 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 momentum is with other people and not him. Now, as we speak, Dewhurst has said, you know, he is absolutely not running, uh, not dropping out of the race. He's, <laughs> he's absolutely, absolutely running, yes, yeah. running, absolutely <laughs> not dropping out of the race. Um, and I think, you know, we, we had an interesting interview up today uh, with both Todd Staples and Jerry Patterson, who were the other two candidates in that race. Uh, you know, Jerry Patterson sounded like nobody has endorsed Dewhurst, but Jerry Patterson basically said he would do anything to help ensure that Dan Patrick doesn't get elected. Todd Dan Staples, Patrick is... The front runner in the Dan race Patrick now. is the front runner. Yes, right. we had not mentioned him by yeah. name yet. I guess, uh, and uh, Todd Staples was not um, n- not being specific and did not seem like he was moving toward any kind of endorsement. Well, and also Patterson said that uh, Dewar should stay in, and Staples said he should really think about getting out. Basically, yeah. The only way to win this race, you know, Dewar's problem is that he's pretty completely well known. And so you can't say, I'm going to convince the people who don't know me yet. So he has to convince the people who voted for Patrick that that's a misplaced confidence, that, you know, for some reason he has to, some in some way he has to disqualify Dan Patrick. Just the math of this thing, if, if you la- leave everything as it is, Dewhurst has to win a little bit more than seven of every 10 votes from people who voted for Patterson and Staples if they show up again in May. In May. It's a really hard runoff. Well, getting back to Jerry Patterson's sort of non-endorsement of Dewhurst, uh, you know, he basically said that he would never vote for Patrick. He, he clearly hates Patrick. He said he'd vote for a libertarian in the general election over voting for Patrick. Is, is there, I assume there is a, is there a libertarian in yeah, there? Is. Yeah, okay. But how is that not basically an endorsement it of Dewhurst? It is basically an endorsement. And he said, you know, he said that he wasn't going to make an endorsement yet, that he was going to talk to Todd Staples and see where Todd Staples was. But, you know, it sounded to me like he would be trying to help Dewhurst get reelected. But this but is sort of, of like the... Help? Does any of that no, help Dewhurst? Thing, it, it probably helps Patrick because you have, you have what the voters are probably probably going to perceive as the establishment saying, oh, my God, do not go with this non-establishment guy or with this crazy guy or whatever they're going to say. And, and that sort of makes Patrick bigger in a way. You know, Patrick says they you don't they don't want me in there because I'm going to do the right thing. I think, and, I think Patrick has the, the lightning right now. You know, this is sort of, you know, Tea Party 1.0 is Rick Perry. Tea Party 2.0 is Ted Cruz, Tea Party 3.0 is Dan Patrick right now. You're exactly and, right. And exactly unless right. and unless David Dewhurst, like I say, can disqualify him somehow, you know, make your own family vote against you, then then Dan Patrick wins this primary. And what can they do that they didn't already do? They threw the kitchen sink at him, well, didn't Jerry they? Well, Jerry Patterson's private investigator. I mean, you know, you how much more can you sort of do? There wasn't a lot of money behind that. So yeah. so, you know, if you're in the Dewhurst camp and you're trying to put this together, you know, based on what we know right now, the the stuff that Jerry Patterson brought up and whatever, 
that didn't really have a bunch of firepower behind it. Dewhurst does have the ability or has demonstrated the ability previously to, you know, go wall-to-wall advertising and spend a bunch of money of his own if he wants to do that with this stuff. You know, the question is, A, is he willing to do that? B, if this stuff had sufficient, you know, advertising dollars behind it, is it enough to, to do that to Patrick? I'm, I'm not sure either one of those is a yes. So we we were hearing a lot uh, before this happened that if Patrick's the nominee, that there's going to be, uh, you know, significant groups, business groups, Republican groups that are going to come out publicly and say, I'm I'm for Letitia Vandepute or whatever. Do you, you think that'll happen or is that just a bunch of bluster? I think it's bluster. You know, the, the only faction in the Republican Party that's been able to form a fist in this election is the Tea Party and the conservatives. And, you know, there's always this sort of noise. A lot of it's in Austin, the sort of, you know, the Austin bubble saying, well, we're going to go out and get those guys. You know, we've got to put a stop to this. And they never do. They didn't do it for John Corona. They didn't do it in all of these races all over the state. You know, supposedly these were the people who were going to be behind Andy Cargill against Jonathan Stickland. These were the people who were going to protect Diane Patrick from Tony Tinderholt. I mean, and on and on and on and on. They just haven't done it. Well, and it's it's easy to threaten that before the results are in, but ultimately you want to be on the side of the people that are running the Capitol exactly. next session. <laughs> right. Right. You don't right. want to get you want your money with, with the, the next winners. lieutenant governor. Well, and right. if you're yeah, if you're in the lobby and you're looking at this thing, you know, with you know the old gimlet eye, you're kind of going, I'm going to get close to Lieutenant Governor Patrick. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was just quickly going back. Oh, is this whole non-endorsement endorsement thing, is this a new tactic or is this just – because it's the same thing Ted Cruz was doing during the primaries. Like, I'm not endorsing them, but I really like this guy. Although you did see that that he uh, that Cruz endorsed Cornyn like basically seconds <laughs> after the primary. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, one going back to that endorsement stuff, I would say that, um, you know, I think Staples was not in my opinion, Staples was not saying necessarily that Dewhurst should, you know, consider dropping out of the race. I think he said, you know, Dewhurst needs to sort of reevaluate the path forward. But, uh, he, but he was definitely saying he should consider it. Was uh, Patterson said he should not drop out. He right. should fight the fight. Formally said he's in it. He's in it. He should right. be in it to win it. I yeah. think he he Patterson, who has made his feelings about Patrick clear, probably just wants some alternative to be in there fighting him. I mean, I think it's hard to turn right around and endorse somebody who you've just spent the last X number of months saying should absolutely not be lieutenant governor and is bad for the state of Texas. I think for well, him, that, that, just... that happens all the time, though. I mean, right. Steve Stockman endorsed Cornyn uh, or said, you know, let's all do everything we can to elect John I guess Cornyn. that's true. And he did it almost immediately. He did it almost immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah just shut up and eat your vegetables. So yeah. At that point, you just have to kind of fall in line. Yeah. So the other uh, race that people have been look, talking about a lot is the AG runoff, obviously. Uh, you know, there have been some calls from. Uh, you know, a group of 14, Republican right. state representatives, all of whom endorsed Ken Paxton, who is the state senator who's in the lead to be the next attorney general uh, coming off the primaries. They all say that his opponent, Dan Branch, who's a state rep like they are, should drop out. Uh, you know, is it a, it's probably not a surprise that people that, that endorsed Paxton want Branch to drop out. But does he have as hard a road to climb as Dewhurst or is that a different situation? It's a little different. I mean, it, there's a sort of a situation – you know, formed up here in these primaries, we had 34 people running for the top seven positions in the Republican primary. Now we have eight people running for these four statewide positions. And it's easier to look at it and sort of see a ticket here and say, these are the, Mm -hmm. you know, however you Mm -hmm. want to label them. These are the, you know, insurgent candidates. These are the conservatives. These are the, you know, chamber of commerce types or the traditionalists or whatever you want to say. And 
right now the momentum, as Jay says, is with the you know starts with Dan Patrick, and so if if you follow that line, that line is Patrick, Paxton, Christian, and I guess maybe Sid Miller. Uh, if you're on the other side, you know where Dan Branch is, then you're looking at Dewhurst, Branch, Ryan Sitton. And maybe Tommy Merritt. The AG, the ag race is a little bit fuzzier and it has its own dynamics. Um, but so so I think Dan Branch's first obstacle is that one. The second obstacle is Ken Paxton beat him in Dallas County. So you've got to figure out what happened in your home base. If you look at our graphics guys did these or our data guys did these really great maps. And you can look at these maps and see kind of where everybody's geographic center is. You can look at Harvey Hildebrand's map in the controller's race and say he must be from this part of the state because that's the reddest part. And sure enough, it is. It's the whole country and Kerr County and all of that. If you look at Dan Patrick, uh, I'm sorry, Dan Branch's map, there's no geographic center to it. And so you're looking at a Dallas representative who didn't really win in Dallas, and he's got to he's got to confront that. But he he ran much closer to Paxton than Dewhurst did to um, Patrick and. He's, he wasn't an incumbent going to the crowd for the second time for another term. What's what on the Democratic side? What is turnout going to look like for the Alameel Keisha Rogers runoff? I mean, we had. Oh, I think everyone's pretty pumped up about that race. Yeah, I mean, there was such poor Democratic turnout. Well, there's the kinky Friedman Jim Jim Hogan race right. too. You know, so that's a whopper. It is. I think we're both being a little bit sarcastic, and turnout will be low. A little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to stink. It I mean, stunk. It was the, only a half a million. In yeah. The, yeah, it stunk the so. first time, and and you know they don't have any races to draw people out, and you know people are drawn to, you know, big giant noisy things. So you're going to get really really hardcore Democrats, and you know it's a it's a kook enabler. I mean, you know, crazy voters have a disproportionately large vote, uh, and does that help Rogers and Hogan? If it's low turnout or sort of nobody really knows because nobody knows anyone. Nobody really knows. Yeah, that's I – mean, There's only a couple yeah, of awesome. underlying races. You know, sometimes these get driven by, you know, whether there's a really great sheriff's runoff here or there's a really good state rep runoff over there. There aren't really a lot of those around. I, I think this one's a – I think it's going to be a remarkably low turnout. There have been rumblings of the, I think, Democratic Party trying to reconcile with the Freedman campaign after sort of – throwing them out in the cold in the primary. But I don't know if really the TDP's, you know, mark of approval really helps anyone well, based the, on the and primary and results. The, and the TDP has basically said, we reach out to all the winners, uh, you know, anybody who's advancing to a runoff and, you know, we're helping to get Democrats elected. He may be the biggest name brand on their ticket this year. You know, I mean, Wendy Davis got famous there for a minute. Letitia Vandepute's only run in San Antonio. The only one who's run You, you can't find Wendy statewide. Davis and Letitia Vandepute on Spotify. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> None of them might try. play at South by Southwest. Uh, well, what happens to the folks that we've sort of mentioned, a few of them, like the Pattersons and the Staples that we've sort of had in office for years now? Where do they go next? Staples said that he was giving up running for elective office for Lent, but then yesterday he said, well, and Easter is a new, you know, a new dawn. And so I think he said he's going to sort of be figuring out where he can be most useful going forward. Patterson said, you know, he's not sure exactly what his next move is, but that he really wants to spend more time with his family. He has 10-year-old twin sons, right, I think, which right. I didn't know. And his, yeah. and his first round of kids are old enough that he has grandchildren, too. Right. So, um you know, he always has said – I mean, you know, he's he's older than the other candidates and he's Since always what, said – 67 or something? 
Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um, he's said all along that a young sixty-seven. If, right. if he doesn't, if he doesn't win this race, that you know, that's probably it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I'm going to miss Jerry Patterson. He's so colorful and with the whole gun, uh, lo- the love of guns and the advocacy of that. But I, I think this is, I think this is <laughs> Jay Swan song. Uh, well, did, what did he? Sh- what weapon I did just, he show up in this office with one day? He showed up with an uh, was an it assault an M16 rifle, right? Or yeah. an brought an assault rifle into my right. office, and everybody looked like they were at the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup. Yeah. <laughs> I think the question is, which weapon did he not show up in the office with? Right. <laughs> but I, I do sort of think this is the end of the road for Jerry. I mean, it, it would be hard for him to come back um, four years from now. He'll be significantly. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it's probably likely. Todd Staples is a pretty young guy. He's right. not even fifty, is he? Right. Or he's right at fifty. Right in there. And, yeah. He's he's got he's got. He's got time to do something if he wants right. to. And Patterson could show back up in an appointed position or a, a hired position or, you know, any, any number of things like that. Do they, does everyone just become a lobbyist in the meantime? You know, he, he became a lobbyist for a brief period between his term as a state senator and his election to the Land Commission. After David Dewhurst beat him in 1998, Patterson came back in 2002 and won that. And in that breach, he was uh, – in that break, he was a HMO lobbyist. So he's already done that once. Mm-hmm. And what about the, like Hildebrand? Will we ever see him back at the Capitol again? I don't think in an elected office. I think you know. I think that may be a future lobbyist. Just well, a wild guess. Well, speaking of uh, you know second acts, I think Rick Perry addressed this a little bit in his interview with second Jimmy chances. Kimmel. Yeah. Yes. So uh, we're at South by Southwest. Obviously, there's a lot going on in Austin. One of the things is, that's going on is that Jimmy Kimmel is recording his talk show every day. And Rick Perry was a guest on Tuesday's show. And Kimmel basically said, are you running for president? And he definitely sort of indicated that it was He definitely a- sort of – let's parse that. Yeah, right. He <laughs> definitely said – I think he definitely yeah. said, I'm definitely sort of maybe running, I think. <laughs> he said to the audience that had first booed him when he got on stage that uh, this is not the audience where I would announce my next run for president. <laughs> yeah, that audience was weird, though. You know, they booed yeah. him when he came yeah. on stage. And then uh, Kimmel said, you know, you've been – governor longer than anybody you've been here for 14 years he said yeah it's been a really great thing and they gave him a really warm round of applause it was yeah, interesting you know, well they got huge applause for the talk about decriminalizing marijuana which is maybe why they've been hitting this issue so hard recently right, right. you know i think he look he made the same old joke about the blueberry in the bowl of tomato soup right but i think you know he handled that about as gracefully as he possibly could have he knew the audience he was in and he's funny and he handles crowds like that well so i actually thought it was quite a good appearance for it was, him. It was funny to see the um because i think he's used that blueberry in the tomato soup line so much and it's just sort of like old hat for us but mm-hmm. jimmy kimmel was like what are you talking about <laughs> that line still gets metaphor. a laugh it's what austin looks ever... like on a map after yeah. a presidential election there's a blue dot in the middle of the red soup so yeah. well you know i covered rick perry for a very long time and then i sort of stopped and and am now covering the texas governor's race without him in it so i haven't been paying attention to his every move the way i used to so i looked at this jimmy kimmel interview with with pretty much cold, a cold look without all of that. You know, all a cold of, stare is sort of your with, usual look. With all of that, that that's happened recently, and I think it's kind of effective. I think the glasses are effective. I, yeah. I think that he's it's, it's a softer thing. He's obviously realized that you know he 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 channeled the whole Tea Party anger in '09 and 2010, and now I think his approach is going to be more wiser, elder statesman, and he's going to portray himself as you know, hey, we're doing 
uh, really important work in these laboratories of invention in the states. And Ted Cruz is up there raising a ruckus in Washington. And kinder, gentler federalism. Yeah, the, it, right? kinder, gentler federal. That's a good way to put it. I we, think KUT had a good story today yeah. that we ran that is, you know, basically there there are cities, D.C. and Chicago that are, you know, represented at South by Southwest this week trying to pull a Governor Perry down here talking about, you know, job creation in their states and trying to lure jobs jobs there. Come to but, Chicago. It's freezing. Yeah, come to <laughs> Chicago. It's damn cold. I was on the corner and some person tried to uh, convince me to move to Detroit. Oh, well. That's a Detroit's, got a, Detroit's got a big um, sort of renaissance going inside the city where, you know, it's like really, really, really fantastically cheap real estate, a an underemployed workforce. I mean, that they've turned their whole mess into their big selling point. Well, but I it's guess, also freezing up there, yeah. by oh, the way. Right. Speaking of additional cold cities. You know, one thing they also emphasized on the Kimmel show, which I think is something that actually is one of Perry's favorite things to talk about is the time he played with ZZ Top. And I think he's definitely trying to emphasize sort of a cooler, hipper. He called them ZZ right. Stop. ZZ Stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the glasses thing works. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, this is a great line, but it actually, you know, they've done tests. You know, Jay and I know that if you put on glasses, everybody thinks your IQ is 40 points higher than it than it was. That's why we wear glasses. Everybody in the, everybody in the presidential race. So far, seems to be looking for a second chance. You know, Christie's got a bridge, and Rand Paul has a plagiarism problem. Rick Perry said, "Oops," you know. So, so maybe it is a second chances race. It, well, it definitely wouldn't be the first time that someone who has run and lost the Republican presidential primary gets the nomination if Perry was able to eke it out. I mean, that's sort of the the standard way to get the Republican presidential yeah, everybody nomination. But, everybody days. but George Bush. The danger for Perry is that if he if he has another gaffe, and he inevitably will, and when he does have another gaffe, if, if People might the, – the doubts might sort of suddenly come back. It's like, oh, well, you're, you're just not – you're not capable of doing this. So they're they're less, likely, less likely to give him a pass for a, right. for a blooper. Although he has been so much on the national stage since that election is over. I mean, in a way that he never was before. He is just almost constantly on the road and doing interviews. Right. He's always on TV and he's always, you know, giving these speeches about job creation. I don't know. I mean, this may be just an incredible practice round. Well, you know, and it, it's true that you do, uh, you know, the best way to sort of prepare yourself to run for president is to run for president and lose and then come back and try again. Um, I think that he, he does seem to be better prepared and he seems to be more relaxed and more comfortable. You know, when, when you don't have uh, when you're not sort of running the state or you're a governor of the state, uh, he is a governor, obviously, but he he does he's not going to have that burden of being governor and 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 preparing for a session and and having all of that going on at the same time that he's running. So he can take time to prepare. You know, before we took this detour onto the Kimmel show, I was asking about what people who had lost races were going to do, sort of in the private sector. But Jay, you recently had a story about uh, Wendy Davis continuing to work in the private sector. Why is that an issue, or is it an issue? I think it is an issue. Uh, Explain it a little bit, right? Well, so in 2010, um, Wendy Davis started a law firm with Brian Newby. Brian Newby uh, was Rick Perry's, is Rick Perry's former chief of staff and also a registered lobbyist. Um, And of course, the whole idea of lawmakers making their living. Uh, in a way that, you know, having deals with lobbyists and, and also uh, public sector clients. Uh, she has at least five uh, public sector clients that we know of that she released, including uh, the Fort Worth Independent School District, 
um, and the North Texas Tollway Authority, um, Tarrant Regional Water District. Um, and so the question has arisen, are you in any way using your position as a state senator to get clients and to get business, and is there a conflict of interest? And as we all know, this issue about the intersection of private work and the public role uh, in the Texas legislature has been a huge issue for years. And so, obviously, Greg Abbott, her Republican opponent and the attorney general, um, has made an issue of this um, and, in fact, has a a pretty far-reaching ethics proposal, I must say, um, that would require far better disclosure and, for the first time, really have a uh, a recusal uh, statute that has some teeth in it. And so, um, for example, when Wendy Davis in 2011 was voting on legislation that impacted the North Texas Tollway Authority, legislation, by the way, that she says that she she took the interest of her constituents and not anything else. But under Greg Abbott's proposal, had that been law, she probably would have had to recuse herself from that. It's going to so, idle a lot of lawyers in the state legislature. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it, if Abbott's... I mean, she's if, the most prominent, but there's yeah, a whole but, bunch of lawyers voting on stuff that... Oh, absolutely. And that was one of the that things... One. That was one of the defenses that the... Uh, that the Davis campaign, via Tony Spangler, her former aide, who resurfaced to sort of come to her assistance in this matter last week, um, you know, that that everybody's doing it sort of was. And, and, and you know, he has a point. Well, he, he has, has a point, point but that's a but terrible you're asking, you're asking voters, should everybody be doing this? <laughs> right. And so, so it, it is an issue. It's always an issue. What people do... Uh, in their private uh, sector part of it, uh, and and if it intersects at all with their public uh, job, then that becomes an issue. So I do think that it will be an issue in the campaign. And she said that she is still planning on setting aside this work. She's just wrapping Wrapping up some cases. Wrapping up, right. Those cases could drag on. I mean, legal cases can drag on for more than the few months left in the election. But what was interesting, though, was when we interviewed Brian Newby, again, her partner and Rick Perry's former chief of staff and a lobbyist, Brian Newby told us that we've had some discussion, but there's been no decision to put anything on hold. And, And honestly, that does conflict somewhat with her answer to us, which was, um, that she would that if she ran for statewide office, she would wrap up her you know she would she would no longer uh, represent public sector clients and she would wrap it up and then if she got elected that she would no longer do any kind of private legal work. So did Newby know that she'd said that? I mean, I find this to be a very interesting dynamic because he agreed to talk on the record. I mean, in his capacity as her partner, in his capacity as a Republican. I mean, you know, you can, I'm sure he got an angry phone call later in the day. Saying, no matter what, what you do, hell? you're going to get an angry yeah. phone yeah, call. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. Um, I have a feeling that he did not know what she had said. Now, in fairness, um, I've reported this at least twice previously. Once in, on September in 1. In fairness to you. In fairness to you. Well, in, in, <laughs> in, in fairness to me, but in, in I mean, just, just to put it out there. Right. I mean, he should have known. In, in, in full disclosure, he should, I mean, he should have known or he could have known if he had been reading the stories in, in which we said at least twice that I know of that reminded people that she said, if I run for statewide office, I'm going to get out of this and wrap it up. And if I get elected, 
that I'm going to get out of the of that business. Um, what I had not done previously was I had never actually run the quote that she gave me. And so when this thing came up last week, I went back and, you know, found the tape, got the quote, and it basically said, if I run for statewide office, I'm getting out of this. So it's been six months. I mean, I think the the, the fact that Brian Newby said we've had a discussion but we've made no decisions about putting anything on hold i think that's that's a news story meanwhile davis has been hitting abbott over his uh defense of prairie view a and m uh when they were hit with a equal pay lawsuit from an employee do you think that is an attack that's likely to stick I mean, I think you can see the Davis campaign, their their attacks have a theme, right? And the theme right now is, you know, Abbott's terrible for women. And so I think you're going to keep seeing them picking. I think that the Lily Ledbetter Act that, that Davis sponsored in the Senate and that Perry vetoed, you know, they've been trying to pin down Abbott on where he stands on it. Uh, you know, they've been using this lawsuit where Abbott, as the state's attorney, you know, had to defend uh, Texas against this uh, equal pay lawsuit. Uh, a lot of it, again, came down to um, whether, you know, enough time or whether too much time had surpassed since this dis- alleged discrimination took place. So... I think this is a common theme that you're going to see the Abbott camp or the uh, Davis campaign continue to harp on throughout. Well, I think the Republicans are aware of it. They've just started another group that's you know not directly tied to the, anything at the governor's race, but um, Red State Women, which is you know touts itself as an organization for Republican women, sort of answering a lot of these kinds of things. And they've you know just popped out this morning and have four or five people attached to it, and it looks like a way to answer some of these kinds of issues from the Republican side. So, you know, I think this this may be the field we're playing on. And I think that that's in recognition of a, of a vulnerability that Greg Abbott has, and it's with women and women voters. And Jim Henson and others have said that, you know, the opportunity is there. Whether or not they're able to seize on it is very much an open question. But the opportunity is there for the Davis campaign and other Democrats to make some inroads with suburban women, suburban white women, that have have tended to vote Republican, but that, um, you know, you look at the Lilly Ledbetter Act, this this legal case that they brought up, abortion clinics are closing. There's been a lot of, you know, abortion Barbie and some and Ted Nugent, some of those, some of that talk. Now we're getting into just sort of like word soup. Well, but 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 no, but some of that talk, I mean, the, the fact, well, you know, to, to put more context on it, the, the other thematic, the yeah. thematic of where, right. where the detractors, Wendy Davis's detractors are calling her abortion Barbie. Um, and, there, you know, there's a, just a lot of discussion about the, the whole discussion about her bio. I was going to say, the more talk about her bio, that fits into this, continues to fit right. into this and, narrative. And I, I get a lot of email from, hey, you, y'all keep asking Wendy about her background. What about Greg Abbott's background? I get that a lot. I get a lot of email about that. So there's definitely a visceral pushback. When, right. when people push against Wendy and attack her personally, that sort of provokes a reaction and and that's something that's, that leads to a vulnerability a vulnerability i think that the abbott campaign has and that's why you see these things like red state women well and in the interest of you know not crowding your inbox if people want to send emails to tribcast at texastribune.org with their questions and comments they're welcome to do that in the meantime we'd like to thank shiny ribs for doing our music you can also catch them around south by southwest if you're in austin and have a music wristband or badge and like to wait in lines uh, on behalf of Jay and Emily and Ross and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening.
can't handle it, can you? Mm. 